Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I've entitled this message this morning, A Generation Worth Fighting For. A Generation Worth Fighting For. If you're taking down any notes, you might want to write that down. And as we pray, uh, we had a lot of text messages and phone calls over the weekend when, uh, I don't know if you heard about, there was an accident in New Orleans. And if you don't know, we have a City Church College team. There's about 11 of us that are there right now. In fact, Pastor Eugene and I, we just got off a plane yesterday evening uh, to be here. We have been in Mardi Gras and our church is doing an outreach there, right on Bourbon Street, literally. And uh, I want you to know that they're all safe, okay? And they're doing good and, and they're doing, and actually we're hearing incredible reports from that. And it's a part of their educational experience. And just a little side note, if you're interested, if you feel a call of God for ministry, I'd love for you to talk to us. And even if you're a freshman or sophomore in high school, or even if you're 60 years old, wherever you might be, maybe you want to get a Bible degree. It's never too late to do that, invest in that. You can find all that information out online. But be praying for them this week. They are literally going to be evangelizing on the streets of Bourbon Street every day this week. And uh, we're just, we've seen, pretty cool, huh? They're pretty awesome. They were nervous, <laughs> and uh, they were praying. So let's pray for that, all right? Let's pray for them. Father, thank you so much, God, for every individual that's in this room that might also be watching online. God, would you meet us here? We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have truly, you're raising us up, and you've empowered us, and you're hopefully challenging us to raise up others. God, would you open up our hearts today? God, would you download it in my heart? God, would you download it in our church this week? Help me to speak clearly and get out of the way for you to speak to every heart here. In Jesus' name, somebody said amen. amen. November 7th, uh, 2013, my life was forever changed. It was on November 7th at 9.48 p.m. that my firstborn, Ethan Glenn Wolf, came into the world and uh, how many of y'all are parents today? How many of y'all got kids, right? Everything changed that day. And uh, here's a couple pictures of him. That's my future professional golfer. He's got two, two, three options. Professional golfer, professional basketball player, or pastor. Those are his three. And so, uh, no, obviously we're going to let the Lord uh, direct his steps. And... Um, if you had kids, then you already know everything I'm about to say, but if you don't, uh, it's such an emotional experience, isn't it? It is like an emotional roller coaster. You, you prepare as much as you can, but you just can't fully prepare for it. And um, there's, there, at one moment, you know, the baby's very close to coming out, and at one moment, there's like not a child in the room. And then within 60 seconds, there becomes a child in the room, you know, and then he's like, he's your kid. And all of a sudden, there's like this weight that you just can't prepare for that just drops in your heart. And, and there's this, there's, you know, you kind of go from just wanting to do your own thing and not in a bad way, but you're just, you're responsible for you to all of a sudden you're responsible for, for somebody else. And, and we, we become parents and I just couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, I'm responsible for this little kid. You know, my first thought, obviously, like everybody, I'm like, I'm getting a tax break. I'm going to make money with this kid. No, not quite, huh? Not the way it works. 
you know, and then the nurse looks at you and she's like, do you want to hold him? I'm like, am I allowed? Like, is that, is that cool? You know, and then all of a sudden they put the child alone with Natalie and I and we're like, what are they thinking? We have no clue what we're doing, you know? And then they give you the car seat and then you're, and they're like, okay, we'll see you. I'm like, where, you know, you're coming home with us, right? You know, like, man, I didn't have a class for this. It's amazing. I remember holding my son in my arms once the doctors and nurses, kind of everything settled down. And I remember, you know, it's just a lot, I don't know about for you, but it was just a lot of emotion, just a whole bunch of emotion. And so um, I remember holding my son in my arms and just thinking, you know, these big dreams for him, you know, just God, I'm praying that, man, that you would just, your will would be done in his life. And, and it was that moment that I really realized for the first time personally, right? I've seen it, I've seen it, um, globally and maybe even communal, but, but personally, I, I realized that there's such a great fight for this generation. Like, I experienced it as a dad. There's a difference. I've been a youth pastor for almost 10 years, and I've just kind of exited out of that and transitioned into another role at our church, but for 10 years, I've seen the fight for a generation from kind of a distance, but all of a sudden, it became extremely personal, the most personal it could possibly be, and I sat there, maybe as a parent, you could relate with this, but I just sat there thinking of all that I wanted God to do in my son and realizing that he's entering a culture that is in almost complete contradiction to what I'm wanting God to do. I mean, just, you know, I thought about getting up here and naming a bunch of stats and how marketers spend billions of dollars focusing on our kids way before they ever can make a decision to even do so. But the thing is, you already see it. We already know it. We don't even need any more stats. We see it in our billboards. We see it in, in, our Nickelodeon, in the MCs that Nickelodeon chooses to have. We see how Disney Junior is. We, we see how our, our, our school, are. we just see it all around this. There's this challenge. There's this contradiction to God's will in our life. It's called sin. We're, be, we're born into a, sinful, into a sinful world. And I just came here to tell you that this generation is worth fighting for. You know what I love about preaching this sermon is that this is your heart. For most of us, this is probably why we're at our church, at this church, is because God's done something in our kids, or we believe, or we love. I get it over and over. There's so many young people. There's so many children. Well, that's intentional on our part. And you have an opportunity, if you're new with us, to really join in that journey as we are raising up the next generation. But I, man, I, we, there couldn't be more clear. There is definitely a fight. I think the fight could be summed up in a quote that I read uh, earlier this week from Bob Pittman. He was the former uh, president and CEO of MTV, of music television. And he said this in 1982. Listen to this. I quote, you can Google this later. He said, at MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. In other words, as he met with his board, as he figured out the vision and mission of music television, they weren't just trying to, to give a couple, uh, you know, they weren't just trying to win a popularity contest, they were trying to get this generation. Because if they can own them at 14, they've got them for life. And so if you don't know, actually MTV and Nickelodeon, they're the same company. They actually work hand in hand. They, it's, it's even, this was in 1982, how much even more is this true today? And we have to take a moment as a church and pause and just go, okay, if the secular world can be this focused on intentionally raising up the next generation, how much more should the church be when the hope of Jesus is within us? And I came here to tell you, if you don't get anything else, this generation is worth fighting for. 
Because this generation is cutting themselves. This generation is locked up in a room. You know, the generation before us, they at least would get outside. They at least would go hit a ball. Now a generation is in a room figuring out their identity by how many likes they get. This generation needs us. This generation needs Jesus. They need the truth of Jesus. They don't need a watered down church. They don't need a half mediocre church. Our kids and our babies need a vibrant, thriving church that believes in them, that's gonna challenge them, that's gonna point them to holiness. There's a fight. There's a fight for this generation. And whether you have kids or not, we can all agree the fight is real. And it's strong. And here's the fact. If we don't raise up this next generation, someone will. If you don't raise up your kids, somebody's going to. Can I, can I flip that around? If we don't raise up this ne- next generation, Bob Pittman will. And if we don't decide the values of our kids, somebody will. And man, wait, I love that I'm preaching to the choir today. You're with me. I know any, most of us could get up here and preach this sermon. And fortunate for us, the Bible has a lot to say about transitioning to the next generation. You see Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. And you see this transition from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua didn't do it very well. It's a whole sermon in itself. You see Elijah to Elisha. But I felt like I wanted to bring you to, when I think of the words raising up the next generation, I immediately think 2 Timothy, just for me. It just is, it is, as a youth pastor for a decade, it has been my, my chapter. As a young leader in, in, a, in church, I feel like, because I can relate with Timothy, he was the next generation. And Paul speaks to Timothy. Would you turn your Bible there if you have it? Second Timothy, we'll have it on the screen. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse one. I'm just gonna read a few verses today because I really want us to get the context of what's happening here. Here's the background, everybody. Paul is at the end of his life. Paul murdered Christians. God radically saved him. He has seen a lot of life. How many of y'all have experienced a lot of life? How many of y'all have seen God do some amazing things in your life? How many of y'all have seen, how many of y'all have had question marks with some of the things that have happened in your life? This week, I'm gonna be doing a funeral for my tío, which is my wife's uncle. And I prayed with him two weeks ago, and he was 24 hours away from just a kind of a, he had some issues with his neck and breathing and he was 24 hours away from getting out of the hospital at the age of 53. And I got off the plane in New, York, New Orleans and on, on Wednesday found out that he went to be with the Lord almost overnight. They have, no, they have no clue. And I'm meeting with his wife this afternoon. She's got questions, as we all would. So not only have we seen the goodness of God, we've seen the mysteries. We've seen the unexplainables, right? We've walked through that together. Paul has experienced that. And now he's at, his, he's at the end of his life thinking, what's the greatest thing I could do to extend the gospel beyond me? Do I send another letter to Ephesians? Do I send another letter to the church of Corinth? Do I send another letter to the churches at Galatia? He chooses to invest into one man from the next generation. I always remember that as a youth pastor. We can preach to hundreds and thousands if we want to, but ultimately the greatest investment I could do is when I get the gospel deep down into the one of the next generation. 
Because here's the truth. Let's build out this building to 1,200 seats. Let's build out this property, and my God, I pray that that happens. But the truth is, we could add 400 people to this, to this auditorium, which I would love to see happen. Those are real people with real stories that need the real hope of Jesus Christ. But even greater than that is to invest into 400 more students that will take this for the next 60 years where we can't go. Amen. And that's what Paul's feeling here, right? This is, this is our heart as a church, isn't it? And so he's thinking to himself, the greatest thing I can do is to invest into, so when, when you think of 2 Timothy, I would encourage you, you can think of it as you'd like, but I, want, I would love for you to think of it as raise up the next generation. Paul's speaking to this next generation. And so here he is in verse one. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In other words, he didn't self-appoint himself. God has allowed him by his providence to be there. In keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, he says, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to pause. I can't even get through verse one yet. He's, we gotta take a moment here and just realize he calls Timothy his son. But guess what? Timothy ain't his boy. They're not blood related. In other words, he embraces the next generation, even though they're not blood as if they were. He embraces this next generation, and he, because when you, when you think through a son, you sacrifice in, 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 in honor, and you feel a responsibility towards, it's different than just somebody, right? And we have to take a moment as a church and just go, how do we embrace our community? How do we embrace the next generation? Are they sons and daughters, or are they just people? Are they someone else's issue or problem? I don't know about you, but I want to embrace this community as sons and daughters. Amen. And even, even as we are building this next phase so that we can have more, more students to raise up, our kids have enough room in there at the moment. It's tight, but they got, they got enough room. We're doing this not just for our kids, we're doing this for the kids that aren't here yet. We're paving the way. We're, we're, we're taking on kids that aren't our sons as if they were our sons. Because that's the true heart of the Father. And when someone comes to you and says, why in the world are you giving towards that? Why do you serve in that ministry? Why do you go to that church? Some of it's unexplainable. But we have the heart of the Father to raise up a Timothy in our church. You know, when I think of that word son, Reminds me of this photo, if I could show it up there. It's a picture of my office. And this is the 17th hole at the TPC at Sawgrass. And I don't know if there are any golfers in the room, but I am a golfer. I tell people I am a pastor wannabe professional golfer. Uh, it, it's the Lord's will that I'm not that good at golf because I might want to flip over and uh, go play in the tournament and, uh, and, and give a bunch of money to the church. This is a picture, every, every picture in my office is super intentional. Someday if you want a tour, I'll give it to you. It's about eight feet wide, so it won't take very long. But this is a picture of, uh, of that, that, that tournament, and that picture was a gift from Pastor Eugene Smith, our lead pastor here. And I put that up there because it's a memory for me. He gave it to me. It was after a golf tournament. It was a, a tournament for missions that actually we supported. It was a way for them to say thank you. And I remember being at that tournament and I'm looking at these incredible leaders that are there, and I was about 20, 21 years old. 
And I remember, if I, if I name dropped their names, all of you would know who these leaders are. I mean, these are influential leaders in the country. I remember thinking to myself, I'm not supposed to be here right now. I am 20 years old. What am I doing with these seasoned leaders and generals of the faith? I remember the whole time I'm playing on my, I mean, that, turn, that golf course is my bucket list. It is so expensive to pay, I would never pay it, right? I would have to take out a mortgage. And, uh, but I got a chance because somebody else paid for it for us. And I got a chance to play that bucket list thing. I, it was just a dream for me. It was incredible. And I put that up there because the truth is, it, it's a reminder to me that Pastor Eugene, is my, he's my spiritual dad for sure. He's always brought me into doors that I was never supposed to be in. And he's always allowed me to be at tables that I'm never supposed to be at. Some people, you, some people might look at me and I've had opportunities to speak at conferences and I hate even talking about that, it sounds so dumb. They would go, man, how, like, how have you been able to grow that young and that fast or whatever? And my thinking is I've just walked through doors that my spiritual dad's allowed me to walk through. And he allowed me to preach before I was ever supposed to preach. He's allowed me to lead before I was ever ready to lead. He's allowed me to do things that before I was ever ready to do things. He's, we were just on a plane together. He's my number one fan. I'm getting my doctoral, um, I'm going to get a doctorate this next month. I'm starting the four-year journey. He's my biggest fan. He wants to see me go on. He wants to see me go forth. And this is a reminder of me, not only of what Pastor Eugene has done in my life, but it's a reminder of me that I wanna do this for others. I pray that my life is a, is a place where I allow the next generation to have a place at the table before they were ever supposed to have a place at the table. And I pray as a church that we would do the same. Even as you own businesses or maybe you manage employees, that you would give people opportunity, maybe even before they're even ready. Reminds me of Jesus. He calls Peter a rock before he was ever a rock. He believed in him before he was ever ready to believe in. And we want to do the same. Amen. Let me bring you to another one, all right? Second Timothy, we're just going through a couple verses here. Chapter two, verse one. It says, you then, my son, he says it again, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach and reach others. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, don't be me, be you. In other words, we want to send a message to our generation. You don't have to sing the same songs that we sing. Our songs are better than yours, but you don't have to sing them. You sing your own song to God, and we're going to champion that cause for you. We want you to be strong in your grace, because we, we don't want our young people to experience and walk through the same challenges we've walked through. We want them to come beside us and watch us walk through challenges and trials so that they don't have to go through the same thing. And I pray that as we even grow this church past 1,000, past 1,500, past 3,000, that there would be a generation behind us that will take this church to 5,000, 10,000, 30,000, 50,000, church plants across the nation, kingdom, kingdom growth. Come on, isn't that the heart that we want to see for our church and for our community? Amen. We not only want to raise up the next generation, but we want to, raise, we want to keep this movement going on before us. You know, it reminds me, uh, obviously Paul wanted to raise up the next generation, but it reminds me of a gentleman in our church that's raised up the next generation. And I want you to put your hands together. Welcome to the stage, Dr. Jimmy Watson. Come on, can we give him a hand? He's coming. Come on, let's keep clapping for him. He's on his way.
Here, I'm going to give you the mic. Oh, you are? Okay. And I want to say up front. <laughs> Dr. Watson, thank you for being with us today. He is not feeling well and had every reason not to be up here, but, but well, you made I'm it happen. Yeah, you I'm are here. Help. Yep. Made a commitment. That's it. Okay. Well, good. Well, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Jimmy Watson. You might not know. Most of us know him as Jimmy, but like I introduced him, I introduced him by his, his right title. He's Dr. Watson. He was the assistant vice president at UCF, yeah. and he's got his doctoral in, uh, in administration and uh, in education. And uh, he retired from UCF. And uh, just, I got a, my first question right up front is, why is this so important to you? Why is what we're doing important to Jimmy Watson? Well, first of all, Pastor Glenn, we have a tendency to think about generations in a different light. We always think about next generation as being like the last generation. Each generation is different. Each generation has its own challenges. It has a movement. Mm -hmm. A lot of, the most generations you find, they have so many challenges to the point that they don't get it right. So therefore, they need people like myself, you, Pastor Glenn, City Church in general, to come and step forth and pick up the seed and raise it from the ground. Yeah. Cultivate it to the point that when it grows up and become leaders in the generation, they will have something meaningful and successful. And most of all, they have a relationship with God. Yeah. And if they have that, then basically all problems are solved. Because they will always have something to pull back on as a generation. Yeah. Excellent. A lot of times people think that, well, since they got the hip-hop generation and this sort of thing here, and they think that's all. They think that's about it. But that's not it. It's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Generations have an effect on our society, economically, politically, marketing, relationships, and even in religion. Mm -hmm. Today, some generations, matter of fact, there are five generations that we are living in right now. Mm -hmm. I know four of them. I don't know too much about the silent generation because that is the World War II generation before me. I'm a baby boomer, whatever that may be. That's what they call me. You're booming. Now, I might have told my age on that, but anyway, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. But during that time, I learned a lot yeah. just by coming through those generations from other people who had come before me. Excellent. Let me, let me ask you this. You can keep it. So I yeah, I got one more question. No, man, he, he keeps trying to leave me up here. So obviously we already know that you're, you are Dr. Jimmy Watson. Clearly you could invest in, I'm not sure who you couldn't invest into at your age and your experience. And I don't know if you know this, but Jimmy Watson serves our role rangers in first and second grade. My question is with all of your pedigree, all of your experience, you've chosen to invest in first and second graders, why? Uh, good question, but <laughs> a lot of people ask me that question all the time. And by the way, they say, well, I'm a football player. You should be out there with the big kids, the big kids. Well, yeah, that may be true, 
But at the same time, I know the little kids down here, one day they're going to be adults. They're going to mm -hmm. be up here. I'm no farmer, but I know when you plant a seed, you're looking for a good crop. Yeah. So when I go down there and I plant the seed, I'm looking to bear the fruit from that. Absolutely. And once upon a time in my life, someone reached back mm -hmm. and gave me a lift. And this person who did that was a community person. It wasn't a school teacher. It wasn't a pastor. It was outside of the home. Now, I know you are teaching your kids the values that you know and that you were brought up with. But at the same time, outside the home, we are supplementing your yeah. values. Yeah. We're making sure that they're not lost when your child walk out the door. That's right. Back to the story that I was going to say. That was an older man, elderly, because I'm old now, an elderly man who was about 88, 89 years old. His name was Mr. Nubo. And I never will forget this man. I put him right in the category with my father, who was teaching me values and this sort of thing to make me a better young man, have a meaningful and successful career lifestyle. But by the way, Mr. Nubo will walk two blocks up to my house on his way to church. And he walked with a cane. So one day, my mom saw Mr. Nubo walking past the house. She said, Jimmy, she said, I want you to go out there. And I want you to take Mr. Nubo's hand and walk with him to church. Right then, I was about five, six years old, didn't know much about life. But Mr. Nubo turned my whole life around within going to church for those two blocks. I learned more in those two blocks than I learned in 10 years in some cases by talking and helping this man who was 88 years old, a generation much further back than I was, I was listening to him. Yeah. And that's what I do today with kids, the young ones. I reached down like Mr. Nubo did me and brought me up by my bootstraps. Absolutely. There's three principles that we have to really work with in our generations. Being an educator, being a football coach and all that, I have to throw this out. Throw it out. 60 seconds. Right, 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another one. <laughs> I have to put this out there. I'll be, I'll be very remiss if I didn't. Yeah. How many, let me ask this question. How many of y'all play football out there? Women, you can hold your hands up now because there are women playing football these days. Okay, if you're playing football, I'm going to give this example and then I'm going to give the mic back to you. Thank you. What, what I basically do and, and saying is the fact that if you are playing football, there's something called the line of scrimmage. You know about the line of scrimmage? Mm -hmm. Anything past that, you begin to pick up yards. You're moving forward. Now, I used to be a quarterback, and my running back, I would always tell him, look, do not run parallel to the line of scrimmage. 
cut up. And you football players, you know if you cut up, you are doing what? You are gaining yards. And this is what I tell the young kids. Don't run parallel, move forward. And that way, you are going to make a touchdown with your life. Amen. Come on, let's give Dr. Jimmy Watson a hand. Good job. Thank you. Hey, y'all didn't, I've been, I've been speaking for 20 minutes. Y'all didn't stand up for me. <laughs> Great word. I was going to leave the stage and just let him keep going. Hey, you know what? All of us can be a Jimmy to somebody. All of us can be a Mr. Newbolt to somebody. And that's his heart. That's the heart of this church. One of, one of it. Right, that we're, we're going to be Pauls. All of us are called to be Pauls. And everybody's got a Timothy. This is way beyond just giving. In, in a few weeks, we're going to give and receive pledges for a building that we're going to build for kids that could never afford it. But even beyond that, I mean, I just, this is our heart. This is a core value for us as a church. So if we would be people that, man, we walk into rooms, there are kids that are not our own, and we embrace them as if they are our own. We pray for them and lead them and love them. We create spaces for them. We give them opportunity before they're going to get opportunity. We believe in them before they were supposed to be ever, be, ever be able to be believed in. Amen. And I, we can't control what every other church does, but we can't control what we do. And as for us, man, let's raise up the next generation because this generation is worth fighting for. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that, God, you clearly have answered my prayer. And you are in this room and you, you have spoken to us. God, we thank you for salvation. God, would you put on our hearts such a passion for this next generation like we've never experienced before? God, would you give us your heart to embrace young people in our community that are not our own as if they are our own? And God, as this song said earlier, we pray that there is praise that goes for a thousand generations, that you are worthy, that you are holy, that you are God. And we declare that MTV will not have this generation. The latest 20-year-old star is not going to have this generation. They're going to be on your your foundation, who you are. Lord, I pray today that God, you would go beyond this sermon and speak to our hearts right where we are. Some in this room are being challenged, God, in ways that have nothing to do with my message. You're speaking to us. God, would you speak to us? Give us the courage and boldness to change. Give us the courage and boldness to turn from our sin, to turn from our wickedness as we stand in your presence, God. Lord, I pray for those today that are not in relationship with you, that today they would put their faith and trust in you. God, that today would be their day of salvation. God, for those that have felt like they've run away from you, thank you that you are our Father, extending arms to us today, calling us home. 
Call us home today in the name of Jesus. Amen.